Good morning. Hey, um, as we're doing that, I just want to say hi. Uh, my name is Ross. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I've been coming here to C3 for 10-ish years. Uh, I am the youth guy, director, leader. I don't know. I have an official title sometimes. Um, but I, I help run the youth ministry. Uh, my wife, Jordan, helps run the children's ministry. And by helps run, I mean she, she runs it and I help her a little bit. Um, uh, so I just wanted to get you to know who I am. Uh, it's an honor to be up here with you guys. Uh, I love getting the chance to dig into the, uh, to God's word with you. Um, here's the grand picture I want to paint for you today. The gospel of Jesus and, and oh, it doesn't, it doesn't shift. Sorry. Hey, the gospel of Jesus, uh, the power of his grace and mercy and forgiveness is, like, it reaches so much farther than we could ever imagine. Um, And if we let it be, uh, it already is, but if we let it be for us, it's not just forgiveness of sins, but it's it's also an abundant life and inexpressible joy, and specifically for us today, a peace that surpasses understanding. So uh, if you would go ahead and open up your Bibles, Um, if you were using the one in the pew, we are on page 811. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, and I know you're thinking, we're in Romans. So um, if you've been with us for a while, we have been in Romans. We are going to continue Romans uh, after this leading up to Easter, but this is just sort of a one-off sermon. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. Um, Matthew chapter 6, if you're not familiar, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has his disciples and a lot of other people who are there to listen to him teach, and he's really teaching a lot about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what it's like, how it works, lots of parables explaining what it is that uh, this whole thing is about. Um, And our passage today specifically is going to be uh, on anxiety and worry. So we're going to read the text, then we'll go back and dig in uh, piece by piece. Um, So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're starting in verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into bards, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For, your, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, uh, phenomenal. That's the sermon. You guys can go home. Um, I made that joke last time, Ross. Okay, so let's break it down. Verse 25. Uh, therefore, pause. Uh, I don't remember who said it, uh, but whenever you see a therefore in a text, you, al- you always want to figure out what the therefore is there for. 
right? Um, so therefore means because of this. So if we start a sermon and we start looking at a text and it says, because of this, you kind of want to know what the because is. So let's look back up real quick. I know I gave you a brief overview of like the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6 specifically, I want to go through and tell you like what's been happening in this text. So chapter 6 verses 1 through 4, uh, shrunk down real simple, uh, is all about, hey, give secretly not publicly, because those who give publicly get the reward here on earth instead of in heaven. Verses 5 through 8 are pray simply, because those who heap up lots of words in order to be heard get the reward on earth instead of in heaven. Verses 9 through 14 are how to pray uh, and include the phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verses 16 through 18, hey, if you fast, fast privately, don't make a public display of it, because if you do, your reward will be, there we go, we're getting it, on earth instead of in heaven, right? Uh, Verses 19 through 21, hey, store up your treasures, not on earth, but in heaven, right, where they're not going to, moth and rust aren't going to destroy them, right? Uh, Verses 23 through 23, okay, this one's weird. He switches metaphors. It's like the lamp, the eyes are the lamp of the soul. It's something about generosity. It's a metaphor that I don't understand. Doesn't quite fit with where I'm going for it. So let's keep going. Verse uh, 24, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money, or the real word is mammon, which means like earthly possessions. So you can't serve the kingdom of heaven and worldly possessions. So when we start this text, that's what he's talking about. When he says, because of this, hey, because we are supposed to be kingdom-minded people who are praying and giving and treasuring things and serving in a kingdom-minded way, verse 25, don't be anxious about your life. Before we go any farther, which we're not very far at all, um, I want to talk about, like, what does that mean? What is he mean when he says, you're, if you have a different text, if it's not ESV, it might say, don't worry or don't be worried about your life. Um, but as someone who has like real, have struggled with like chronic anxiety, it took me a long time to realize that not everybody has chronic anxiety. And so some of you, like you hear the word anxious, uh, anxious and you're not maybe quite sure exactly what that feels like. The word here in Greek is merimneo. I'm sure I butchered how that's pronounced. Um, It literally means to be split apart uh, and then figuratively to be distracted. And it's such a good description of anxiety, right? It's not just an unsureness when you're anxious, right? It's an indecisiveness that feels like paralysis, like you're being pulled apart at the seams. Like you're so stuck between options that you're being pulled apart at the seams and you can't move forward or pick an option without feeling like you're going to fall apart. It's so distracting that it's paralyzing. And if you know someone with anxiety, you know that it's paralyzing because sometimes it takes them a long time to even begin to start on a task. Sometimes when you have anxiety, when you're feeling anxious, the only option you feel like you can like, think to do is to curl up into a ball and hope that it just goes away. Or more commonly, currently, we scroll on our phones until we're uh, calm enough or numb enough to breathe. And honestly, from the outside, anxiety, like to people who don't have anxiety, anxiety kind of looks like laziness, which just makes people like me with anxiety even more anxious. Like, oh, nothing, I'm lazy too. Um, But that's anxiety, okay? So that's what we're talking about. So let's keep going. Second half of verse 25. I want to find it. 
Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and your body more than clothing? Okay. So here's the deal. Contextually, these people were literally worried about whether they were going to have enough food to eat day to day and clothes to wear day to day. This isn't um, industrialized, mass-produced, capitalistic America, right? We here don't really struggle with this. 2,020 years ago, like, it was a different situation. But most of us, day to day, aren't really worried about whether we're going to have enough food to eat. Where we live right now, you guys are all within driving distance of enough restaurants that you could literally eat at a different restaurant pretty much every single day for the rest of your life and be fine. You could drive to them, right? You can make it all the way to Galveston, to Huntsville, to Dallas, easily. And most of these restaurants have enough uh, food and have, sorry, have food with enough calories in it that for like $10 or less, you can fill up with enough calories for your day, right? We're not worried about having enough food to eat for most of us here. Similarly, clothing. And I can go buy a new t-shirt and a new pair of jeans at Target for like 27 bucks. I could do that every week and be fine. So we're not struggling with the same exact things, right? The things he's naming aren't really our struggles, but we still have anxiety, and the thing is, the common denominator is the same. And we'll get to that in a second. So he says you should stop worrying about money and food and clothes explicitly and implicitly the other things, right? Your job, right? Should you switch departments? Should you find another job? Um, should you try and get a promotion? Are you happy? Do you enjoy your job? Your house, right? Is it big enough? Is it too big? Is it nice enough? Do we need to sell it? Do we need to upsize? Do we need to downsize? social media. Have you guys realized how ridiculous, ridiculous it is that we live in an age where we have like a metric for what we feel is an appropriate metric for like how people think of us? Do I have enough followers? Do I have enough uh, friends? Do I have enough likes on that post? And for some people, like we get anxious about it. Like we, we want to be liked, right? And on top of that, we can keep going. Hey, our society loves to f- sell us fear and anxiety, You know how much of politics these days is just anxiety? It's just fear? Both sides. Hey, we're the good guys. The other guys are trying to ruin America. Both sides. All the time. Marketing, half that's essentially fear. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to miss out. You don't want people to think of you that way. You don't want to struggle with this situation. And it works. Why? Because they make us believe that we can control the outcomes. And the more we control, the better we feel. And so that's all anxiety is, is fear mixed with control. That's big point number one. Anxiety is fear mixed with control. And if you listen to Andy Mineo, you know I stole that from one of his songs. Think back to when you were in school, right? For some of us, anxiety uh, central, high school, college, whatever, right? Maybe you'd panic before a test. Why? Because you can't control what's on the test, so you're not sure you studied hard enough. Or maybe you sent that note or that text, or if you were real brave, you made that phone call to that person you're crushing on, and the moment between when you hit send and you get a response, that's when you're panicking. Why? Because you can't control it anymore. It's out of your hands. And so you're freaked out. 
If that's too far removed, right, maybe now, right? Job promotion, same thing. Once you ask your boss, you put it out there, that's when it's freaked out. That's why some of us don't ask for promotions or things, because we're going to hold on. Because as long as we hold on to it, we're controlling it. We know what the outcome is. Over and over, right? Your mid-year review, you can't control the past anymore. You did what you did. You can't control how your boss views what you did. One more example. Your teacher friends. Hey, you want to know why your teacher friends are anxious? Because we're in charge of learning, and I can't control learning. I can control teaching. I can control methods. I can control uh, what we read and how we do it. I can't control whether the kids are invested and are going to actually learn. On top of all the other stuff. So, why do we get anxious, right? Where does it come from? Well, I think we see the answer again when we dig back into the text. So we're going to read verses 25 through 28. I know it's a lot. Um, we're going to come to ooh, sorry, dig back in. I apologize to the mic just now. That was ridiculous. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about this life, about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So, Jesus tells us, hey, don't be worried about the things of this life. And then he goes on to give us reasons why we shouldn't be worried, which is really good. Because telling a person who has anxiety, don't worry, is about as effective as telling your spouse when you're in uh, like a heated argument, hey, calm down. It doesn't work. It's never worked. But he gives us valid reasons. Namely, that God's going to take care of you. Like, if he gave humans dominion over everything, if he values us most, and then he is going to take care of the animals, which you can see that he does, won't he also take care of you? So if the birds aren't freaking out and hoarding toilet paper, I mean food, um, no one? That stung a little bit, I feel like. Um, if the flowers aren't working hard to buy the nicest, newest dress or suit or the newest car, then maybe we shouldn't either. But now I know and most of you probably do too, that logic doesn't really win against anxiety. Anxiety as it, at its core is a liar. It's a deceiver. People who are feeling anxious or are paralyzed by anxiety aren't choosing to feel that way. We would choose to feel better if we could. It's not a switch that we can just turn on and off. But this isn't about logic. This is about comfort. It isn't some random mystic Jew 2,000 years ago giving life advice to stop your anxiety. It's God assuring you that he's got you. And what's he doing? He's pulling your attention away from the things that make you anxious. So we see that what's making us anxious is the things of this, this world and our belief that we can control them. By the way, that's what we mean, what people mean, when we say that anxiety is an unbelief issue. We're not saying that you don't love God or that you aren't saved or that you don't um, oh gosh, or that you don't believe the gospel. Rather, it's that you have an overconfidence in your ability to control the outcomes. And so that's what you focus on. All the little things of this world. Before we keep going, real quick, just want to make this point. Um, the word marimneo that I said earlier, remember I said the figurative meaning is distracted? So if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not really an anxious person. This is like, okay, I get it. Um, 
consider the context of this verse, and then consider that phrase, hey, don't be distracted by the things of this life, about what you will eat or what you will wear. Still applies, right? So all of this next stuff still applies to you, even if you're like not an anxious person, which most of us probably would say that we are, if we're being honest. So, the issue is a focus issue, right? Everything you've ever been anxious about is because you are focused on the things of this world and afraid of the outcomes you can't control. And I know that part's terrifying, right? Like, here's the ultimate irony of this whole thing, is that um, some of us are afraid to hand control over to God. Why? Because what if things don't go our way? So we try and, like, maintain as much control as we can. Here to give you good news, you can't control almost any of it, but it is under control. The difference isn't whether or not you control it or God controls it. The difference is whether or not you believe and trust that God's control is good enough. So in this passage right here, Jesus, not Ross, is telling you, hey, God controls the outcomes. The, like, on top of that, he loves you. He is for you. Worrying won't change the outcome. It won't add a second of control. It won't add a second to your life. So he pulls your attention to him and comforts your anxiety. Listen, if anyone has the right to tell you, hey, calm down, it's going to be okay, it's the literal God of the universe, right? The one who knows the past and the present and the future. The one who set the foundations of the earth, who stretched the sky like a canopy, who holds the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. The one who came down as a man, who walked on water and calmed raging storms, um, who healed the blind and the deaf and the paralyzed and cast out demons. This is the guy who's telling you it's going to be okay. The guy who literally carried a cross to his own death, that he might take on your sins, all of them all of your failures. This is the guy telling you, hey, it's all right. That he did that because he loves you and he still is in control of the rest of it. It's not me standing up here saying, hey, don't worry. This is God in the text telling you that he's got you. So, you're anxious because you're focused on the wrong thing. You want to know what we really can't control real quick? Um, look at the, the last verse, verse 34. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day, it's its own trouble. Hey, you guys, you can't control the past. You really can't control the future. You might be able to make wise decisions, but that's out of your hands, man. You don't know, you have no idea what tomorrow is going to look like. So what do we do, Right? Ultimately, the cure isn't just stop worrying. That would be great. Hey, don't worry. Okay. It doesn't work that way. So what do you do? You focus on the things you can control, a few of them, and you focus on the things that you know have already been handled. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the rest will be given to you. Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his, righteous, or his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Look, the peace of God comes from trusting in his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to start with the second one first. I'm going to work backwards a little bit. What does it mean to seek his righteousness? Um, 
Look, all of this, the whole reason we're gathered here today, all of this is because we understand, we believe as Christians, that God himself saw that we could never measure up to what we should be, that we could never do enough, we could never make up for our own sins, our own failures, we could never be perfect enough or righteousness, uh, righteous enough to enter heaven, to have atonement, to be with God. And every religion in the world wants that, right? Every religion in the world has the same sort of end goal of some sort of heaven. For most, it's an afterlife. For some, it's some form of like nirvana here on earth. But we're all seeking the same thing, and they all have the same pattern. Do enough, try hard enough, follow these rules, and you can get there. And the whole concept of Christianity is the gospel, the idea that God said, hey, you know, you can't do it. I can see that you can't do it. I'm watching you try. And so he stepped in, and he lived that righteous life for us. He lived the perfectly righteous life that you and I can't live, and then he died. And when he died, he took our sins, our failures, our shortcomings, our transgressions, all of that upon himself, and he offers you in exchange his perfect righteousness, his perfect standing before God. Notice that it doesn't say, seek your righteousness. It doesn't say, just try and be better. It says, hey, put your trust in the fact that it's already taken care of for you. So friends, if you're here today and you don't know that, if you haven't like, encountered that truth before, that it's already taken care of for you, man, take a hold of that today. Realize that that's a free gift and that that's what all of this is about. Without that, we're just any other religion trying our best and singing songs and trying to be good people and pretty much failing. It's his righteousness that we seek. And then part two, we focus on his kingdom. Look, we get worried because we are so set up trying to build our own little kingdoms, aren't we? We want to build a name for ourselves. We want a legacy for our family, a big house. We want to be debt-free. We want to have an easy and high-paying job. We want less stress. We want, like, to be an Instagram influencer or a Twitter influencer or a Facebook influencer, right? We want all of these nice things. And then we say, then, when we have that stuff, when we build that kingdom for ourselves, then we can really start focusing on God's kingdom. Won't we be more effective then? And then we get bent out of shape when our little kingdom doesn't come together the way we want. Or if it does, it's never quite enough. We still have more to do. It's an endless uphill battle. Because we think we're the, little, the kings and queens. But really, we're just little tyrants. Can I tell you a secret? If you look at the rest of chapter 6, your kingdom's going to fall anyway. Maybe now, maybe while you're on earth, maybe after you die. But like, why are you storing up treasure here? That's what he says. It's all going to rust. It's going to be moth-eaten. It's going to fall apart. Why are you trying to build your little kingdom instead of his? Why are you distracted from building the kingdom of God to build your own? Why are you anxious about the things of this world? If you want to be less anxious, get your mind off your kingdom. Stop trying to make a name for yourself and start declaring the name of God. Look, let's be honest. It's a lot less stressful to be a faithful servant of a good king than it is to try and build your own kingdom within another kingdom. It's not going to work. I want to look back at verse 24. It's not really part of our passage, but in my mind, um, it really sets the tone for this whole piece. It's the one that says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, that's mammon. That just means possessions. 
you can't build your kingdom and his. You'll either love one or you'll, and you'll hate the other. So like, here's the question. Are you going to choose to love the one that brings fear and anxiety and unsteadiness and can crumble in a second? Or are you going to tr- put your trust in him? Look, maybe a lot of this sounds really like ethereal. Because I know sometimes to me it is like, yeah, I trust. That's like kind of up there. Look, this is the most grounded thing we could be talking about. Look, this week, when you face choices, it's all about are you going to be kingdom-minded or are you going to be worldly-minded, right? When you, in any situation, are you going to try and do the thing that makes you look good or are you going to do the thing that declares the goodness of God? Are you going to lie to avoid punishments and consequences or are you going to be truthful and humble despite what that might bring for you? Are you going to hold on to those grudges that you have against those people who wronged you? Or are you going to forgive the way that God forgave you? Are you going to love your neighbor as yourself? Or are you just going to love yourself? Are you going to trust your ability to control the outcome and make the right call? Or are you going to trust that he's got it? Make wise decisions. I'm not saying just like, don't, oh, whatever, whatever happens, happens. Make wise decisions. But don't stress about it. When you face the things of this world this week, all the little things that you could focus on, all the things you can't control, gas prices and wars in other countries and all the millions of crimes you see on the news networks and all the things that they're trying to sell you, are you going to let the fear of this world consume you and paralyze you? Or are you going to trust that the God who laid the foundation of the earth is still in control? Things might not be great right now, He's got it under control, and he loves you. Not just you generally, like, oh, yeah, he loves you. He loves you generally, yes. He loves you specifically, people who are listening to these words. He loves you, and he has got this. So I want to end on this note, sort of end. It's always one of those things where like, oh, this is the last point, and it's like five more minutes. Um, I want to end on this note. The peace of God comes from God, Right? The peace of God comes from God. You won't find true peace by focusing on the things of this world. Look, you might solve a problem or two, right? But there's always another and another and another, an endless parade of things to do, um, things to distract you from God and his kingdom, things to paralyze you with anxiety and doubt. The Bible isn't even shy about that. Jesus himself says, look, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So what does it look like? What does it look like to take heart? Um, you can't control pretty much anything. And all the rest of it is up to him, so we give it to him. Here's what this looks like. We're going to look at one other verse real quick. Not verse, passage. Um, Philippians 4, 4 through 8. If you want to flip there real quick, I don't have the number for that in your Bible. Um, but it's up there, so that's good. Here's what it looks like to give your cares, your anxieties to God. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Look, the Lord is at hand. So don't be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is 
true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Look, Jesus is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. He's got you. So cast your eyes on him and trust him and follow his lead. Friends, turn your focus from the things of this world and focus on his goodness and his faithfulness and his love and his kingdom and his righteousness. Let him be your hope and your joy and your peace this week. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you are good, that you came to earth to live and to die and to rise again for us. Um, and that that's not the end of the story, that that wasn't one action 2,000 years ago and, and it's done and we just sort of get to live and feed off that, Lord, but that you are in control now. So, Lord, would you be the cure, the peace for our anxieties this week, this month, this year, for the rest of our lives, would we be people who are not anxious and paralyzed by doubt and fear and worry? Would we be people who are not distracted by the things of this world? Would the things of this life not be what consume our thoughts? Would we we be people who are focused on you, on your kingdom and your love and your righteousness, on the things you would have for us? Lord, would we trust you? Would you be our hope and our vision and our peace? We love you, Lord. We trust you. We believe that you are our peace. Would you help us now and wait? It's these things that we pray in your holy and precious name, Jesus, and by your power, Holy Spirit, for your glory, Father God.